Dorothy. A worthy and noble pride, right? No one could blame you for being angry when some jerk insults your family name, your blood, your very identity. But what if that devotion to your identity becomes an obsession? Could that obsession be satiated with revenge? Would it be sweet? Hello and welcome to the Book Club Juxtapositions podcast, a book club where each month we discuss two pieces of literature and juxtapose them based on theme, plot, author style, societal norms, and basically how the book grabs you. All of the interesting things that make for a great spoiler-filled book club discussion. Yes, I said spoiler-filled. In each episode, we will mainly focus on one of the literary pieces. In addition to a general discussion, we will view it through the lens of a particular theme. It is inevitable with all good literature. One can't help but make comparisons and connections to other literary works and life. In the second episode, we will examine some ideas with the counterpiece of literature. This is just a fun way to compare and contrast two pieces of literature and have a lively discussion. This is an adult podcast intended for adult listeners, and we may use adult language. We want to include you in our discussions, so please go to our Twitter account. The handle is at bookclubjuxtas. That's at B-O-O-K-C-L-U-B-J-U-X-T-A-S. Or our Facebook page is Book Club Juxtapositions. When you're responding, remember our motto is to encourage and inspire, don't spit fire. So grab your glass of wine and let's juxtapose. In this month's episodes, we will examine the theme of obsession in Edgar Allan Poe's undeniably iconic short horror stories, The Cask of Amontillado and The Telltale Heart. I am Tracy May, author, multi-award winning screenwriter and former educator. I'm Kimberly Andy, travel writer, winemaker, former educator, and creator of the blog Lily Pads of Curiosity. The Cask of Amontillado, a recounting of a man waxing lyrical about the carefully executed murder of his nemesis by coaxing him into the depths of the catacombs under the guise of helping him identify a rare Amontillado, when in reality, he buried him alive in a wall, brick by brick. A disturbing preoccupation a prolonged focus on an unreasonable subject, such as the stuff that obsession is made of. But what if your obsession is with revenge at any cost? Well, historically, there are many cases where the crime committed in the eye of the criminal is justified because of the family loyalty or pride and basically protecting their narrative of their identity. Yeah, identity is super powerful. I mean, I think when we look at it over and over again in literature and life and our politics just everywhere... You know, you think about some, like, I always look at identity, too, and how well writers can write it, and when they remove those identities, and what message that is sending. And I think sometimes, even as a society, we're obsessed with our own identity, and the narrative we have around that identity. But Wow, you're right, especially with politics today. Right, absolutely. So I look at, like, Steinbeck, and the fact that certain characters... Like the female character is not given a name. And that's whose point was about her identity and the lack of her identity, giving those characters power or not power. So I think to know that Fortunato, maybe his obsession is with his identity. And therefore, when that identity is being threatened, that he goes into this murderous rage, it's relatable. It's relatable. But is Montessor our unreliable narrator because he's been insulted by Fortunato? Should we trust it, in other words? Are you thinking we don't really know that we should trust anything this man has to say? Right. The insult must be punished and punished with impunity. So this unhealing wound is the only one solved. 
Okay, so this is going to sound harsh, but I'm just going to put this out here. Is there some element of Fortunato that kind of deserves this? Now, I'm not saying anyone deserves this, but does Fortunato deserve this? Because he is kind of a jerk. Again, we're trusting what Montresor has to say, which, again, is... An unreliable narrator. Unreliable narrator. Right. You know, he has, you know, a thousand injuries, but then he ventured upon insult. I always have inferred that the insult was about his family. Because we have this whole idea that he goes into the crest and, you know, it's going back to this revenge and revenge is on the crest. And it happens on his family property. Right. Yeah. Um, Excellent point. So you're right. I think that, you know, um, yeah, we do have to. Let's just say for the sake of all fairness, I tend to say, well, was he really a jerk or is this just where he's coming from? But that's absolutely a great point to put in there is that we have to trust the narrator and what the narrator's saying there. And Montresor plays on his vanity, which if he wasn't a vain man, you couldn't play on somebody's vanity if he wasn't a vain man. You know, again, it's that identity, vanity, you know, it's all kind of one big sandwich. You know, they're they're all, they're working together. Um, but So you, you're saying that Fortunato is very vain. Fortunato is very vain. And Montresor is able to pull this like reverse psychology angle on him that, you know, oh, you're sick. Don't come with me. Don't come with me. You you can't identify this Amontillado. Is he? He's yeah, pulling I'll pick Lucchesi. Lucchesi knows you're sick, knowing that this guy's kind of a jerk, and he's going to fall into this trap. Because of his vanity. Because of his vanity. I mean, you look at, like, vanity is a persuasion throughout literature. I was thinking about Julius Caesar. And, you know, in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, his wife, Calpurnia, has this dream. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to the Senate today because Calpurnia had this kind of prophecy dream. So I'm, I'm not going. And the, the conspirators are able to convince him to go with his vanity, with especially with his male vanity. You know, I think... It's something that just humans relate to, that this idea of how powerful vanity can be as a persuasive technique. I mean, just watch any commercial. They're always playing to people's vanity and selling you something. Oh, absolutely. That, that's the key marketing technique right there, right? Right. You know, being part of an elite, you know, it's, it's time proved successful. So is this narrator insecure then? Oh, absolutely. So it's kind of his vanity as well. So that's why he's bragging. He's, again, we come back to this braggy narrator telling us a story in the past tense, like this 50 years later. Look at how cool I was. Look at how well I planned this murder. Methodicalness of a step by step reasonable plan how he did this to kind of get us on his side again his vanity you know uh physician held thyself look in the mirror because it's your own vanity Exactly. But I think that the, the difference here is um, with the Telltale Heart is that he doesn't seem to care as much as the Telltale Heart's narrator about proving his sanity, you know, with impunity. Um, he doesn't want to be punished. Right. So truthfully, the narrator in the Telltale Heart, there wasn't even an idea about punishment. It didn't even factor in. As a matter of fact, he outs himself. He outs himself. Right. Exactly. So this, you know, uh, Montresor is more like, look at this cool thing I did. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wink, wink. You know, like kind of the inference is I'm making this confession, you know, but really he's, I don't think he's remorseful or sorry at all. And the fact that he doesn't want to be punished, he says in the beginning, with impunity. In other words, he's got the rationalness of mind to, even though he's created this methodical step-by-step murder plan, he doesn't want to be punished for it. And he also wants Montresor to know what's coming exactly so that's the creepiest part because he doesn't he's he knows he's not going to be punished he's really (laughs) covered his tracks literally um (laughs) but he also is making sure the montessor sees him and knows exactly what's happening and when montessor figures that out um he's in a position where he can't do anything about it but that just escalated it 
for, I mean, when Fortunato figures it out, I apologize. Um, but that escalates it for Montessori because he has that moment of realization. Well, that satisfaction right. of being able to see Fortunato know that he did it. Right. And that's something that I think he carried with him for that 50 years that he held this Like, under. <laughs> Exactly. Like, like I, I carry my grudges. Right, Who's right. coming out to play? What grudges coming out to play today? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I could go play today. <laughs> so what do you think that the story has to say about identity then? We talked about that in the beginning. Is identity a convenient excuse to hide the crazy um yeah I would say so like I, I think you know his identity wrapped up in his family name he he can put up with so much but that was a tipping point the tipping point was his idea of his and I think again it goes back to that obsession with his own narrative about his family you know an, a noble family as if nobility is a convenient excuse oh I'm, a, I'm from a noble family therefore but I guess history has proven that noble families kind of did get away with murder for a long time. Noble isn't wealthy. Quite literally, but, you know, in a case like that, too, with his nobility, he, um, that's what he has. That's all he has. And I'm not saying that he's a poor man and he doesn't have a home and he doesn't have food, but really when you talk about accomplishments, identity is all he has. Right. So do you feel sympathy for Montresor? No. <laughs> that's probably a good one of those like online sociopathy tests <laughs> that you just passed yay, yay. <laughs> you're talking to the wine girl you can't like trick somebody into going oh you know, really a, an amontillado yeah i'll come chase that and, no nobody else can prove that you kind of tap into that you know uh, wine idea the sommelier idea but um yeah no what about what about Fortunato? Do you feel sorry for Fortunato? Yeah, I feel sorry for Fortunato. I think that you know he's a he jerk. Was, he's a jerk. I think he's misunderstood. Hold <laughs> <laughs> him with the Masons, and he's like, you know, look at me, I'm a Mason, and he's you know doing the whole bit with the the hand movements, that, and you know, I just think he's rubbing it in his face that Montresor is of lower status than him. Oh yeah, and and this also think here. This is something to consider. What age, I'm just curious, what age do you think that these characters are when this incident happens? Well, if it's 50 years from now, you got to assume that he was at least 20 when this happened. I right. mean, I can't imagine him being younger than 20. I would say so, he was in his 20s, so I'm thinking he's in his, I'm thinking Montresor is in his 70s. Now, so when this all happens. Right. That this is, that they're, they're in their 20s, probably at the height of their testosterone. <laughs> yeah. And that alpha male thing is coming out, and maybe that's their identity. They're trying to um, prove their masculinity. Prove their masculinity. Yeah, that vanity about the masculinity. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so the obsession is the vanity with the masculinity. Likes. <laughs> 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 so is revenge is a, a dish best served cold like is it more powerful that he does methodically plan this out you know obviously there was there had to be some sort of time break between the final straw I think, and the murder I think that for Montresor of this I think that well if we're going to compare the two let's compare the two stories again and think about which one was served best cold um this one, I think, is more impactful as far as feeling creepy and scary because it was something that he so thought out. And you can um, you can imagine both of them were fearful. Both of them were scared. Both of them knew what was happening. but um, And they both knew. I guess now that I'm thinking about this, now they both knew who their 
killer was. Um, but I think that this dish, the, you know, the dish best served cold. Wow. He, in the Cask of Amontillado, he, he actually planned step by step. And as he went through, you see how beautifully written it was. And he brings up all these other examples and symbolism and, and um, episodes as he's going through. Everything's very well connected to make this such a dark comedy, but uh, if you want. Um, but so I think it's, it's served to him a lot colder in this case. And maybe too because it's two young younger men, you know, that are the the key characters in this, as opposed to a young and I mean old frail man in his bed that has sympathetic. Yeah, you're sympathetic right. to him, and it's not served cold to him. You know, that guy's the jerk, that you know, right? The telltale heart narrator, but this one, yeah, it's definitely you know the revenge is, is served best cold because it really you know for the for the narrator in that one, the narrator there is saying. Like what I did, and he knew it. Right, and that's that's the delicious part of the revenge, really. right? Right, that he's still feasting on fifty years later. Like wink, wink. I'm making a confession, but not so much. Exactly. So you mentioned a dark comedy. Like I can see this, you know, rereading this and thinking about this in the hands of like the Coen brothers, and how well that they could play on all of that comedy. We have so much of like the verbal irony in the comedy when they're toasting to a long life. And you know Montresor is just like eating that up because you know wink you know oh yeah let's let's toast to your long life buddy okay sure <laughs> um, he you know again at the end you know his name is Fortunato which clearly he's not a fortunate character he's not very fortunate he's dressed up like a joker you know we just see the layers that Poe is able to do integrating this dark comedy I just so see this as like a Coen brother film. Maybe they can create one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> Absolutely. I just think it translates, too. We can, even though the language is written in that, you know, obviously Poe vernacular, like, I, I think the story, I actually like this story better. Not that the Telltale, the Telltale Heart is a classic. It's nothing wrong with the Telltale Heart. I just think the story resonated with me more. I do. I, I, me, me as well, because, um, this one, I think that there's so many other things that are incorporated that you see a link and a link and a link compared to it. So it happens on purpose on the carnival setting, you know, all the good wine is gone. They're in a carnival. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of music going on. So you don't, um, hear things that are happening or he couldn't be heard if he caught on earlier and, let out a yelp or whatever and and uh the good cheer so the irony in that he's finding good cheer and fun in this um yeah he's relishing it absolutely, he's absolutely he, it's relishing like he, it. it's like he steps out of the catacombs after he does this and you can picture that he would step out there into his own party celebrating his success right absolutely um yeah his life after and he's got it you know he gets to tuck that away right forever and go back to that you know, and again with the humor, I think my favorite part of this whole piece is at the end when Montresor is, uh, you know, he's walled him up, he's in there, he's suffocating, we're still hearing the bells a little bit, and then we see this, you know, Fortunato has this realization of what's going on. And then the two of them start to have this, like, total crazy off, where one is screaming, and then the other is screaming, and then the other is screaming, and they're just kind of screaming back and forth. I just love that part. And I there's just this moment of like authentic, just crazy off that I think resonates today just as much as it did then, obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it, have you ever had a moment that you got so upset that you had a crazy house with somebody? <laughs> Probably in my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you think these repented at all? Just did, Do you think our characters repented at all? Um, Montresor. Yeah, so if he, you know, if it's confession. Is he, he making a confession? We got the Latin at the end. I, yes. Well, I mean, I think that's the whole reason why we're here in the story is because he's repenting a little bit or he's bragging. So um, with the Latin at the end, it gives you that feeling that he is repenting. Yeah, maybe he's close um, to, to dying and he's kind of hedging his bets. Like Right, like, oh, you know, oh, I better beg for forgiveness. Right. I, you know, um, you know, my heart grew sick. Things like that, those, excuse, those, um, those terms. But maybe in his mind, just like he, he thought he was justified to commit the crime in the first place, maybe in his mind this counts as repentance. Right. And he did. I mean, rest in peace. <laughs> rest, rest in peace. So wow. we, we would totally love to hear from you on your ideas. Um, you can check us out on our social media Twitter account at Book Club Juxtas or our Facebook account, Book Club Juxtapositions where we'll engage in a lively discussion with all of you online. Love to share your highlights on these episodes. This, you know, again, thank you so much. And thank you so much for all of your comments and, and everything that you included from our last episode. We really had fun sharing and commenting on your um, your discussions there. We had some great discussions going on there. Our next episode, we're, we're going to be posting it on November the 10th. And our next month's books will be A Gentleman in Moscow versus Fahrenheit 451, we will examine the themes of fate and free will. So in our next episode, we want you to think about a few things. A country in the midst of massive political and cultural change. A beautiful hotel for the rich and powerful. A man forced to stay still in a world swirling in chaos around him finds peace and meaning in the relationships that he builds. Our next episode, we'll be talking about a book that I absolutely fell in love with, A Gentleman in Moscow. Thank you again. Thank you for spending your time with us all. Cheers and happy reading.